Today's episode of the Sixers Beat is brought to you by Robinhood. With Robinhood, you can invest in stocks, options, and ETFs right from your phone. You can even spend and earn interest on uninvested cash. And with fractional shares, you can buy stocks in any amount, including companies like Apple, Amazon, and Tesla for as little as $1. And that's with no commission fees or account minimums. So whether you're new to investing and ready to learn, or just looking for a better experience, stop waiting and join the 10 million Robinhood users. Listeners can get started with a free stock by going to sixersbeat.robinhood.com. That's sixersbeat.robinhood.com. All investments involve risk. This is not an investment advice, a recommendation, or a solicitation of any security. Other fees may apply. Visit rbnhd.co slash fees. Once again, that's rbnhd.co slash fees. The free stock program is subject to certain limitations. Annual percentage yield APY on uninvested cash is paid by program banks and is variable. Robinhood Financial is not a bank. Welcome, everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the latest Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics podcast network how you doing rich i'm good man the uh <laughs> the dog days have kind of set in here but i'm doing okay well the dog days of the nba season made only worse because this team cannot buy a road win what is that now six in a row on six the road they have lost they have now lost what seven nine of their last doing this in my head nine of their last 14 games and after, you know, on, on December 13th, they had just gone through a stretch where they had won 13 out of 15. Things were looking good. And boy, how, how our world has changed and how the outlook of the team heading into a crucial stretch leading up to the trade deadline has changed. They have a little bit of a reprieve now in the schedule where it gets a little bit easier before another tough stretch. But I don't, you know, I, th- I think when we look back, and again, they had that 13 out of 15 stretch. And we said, you know what, guys? They're winning, but they're not winning commanding. And they're not playing the toughest schedule in the world. Home-heavy schedule. A lot of teams who have extenuating circumstances. We're going to learn a lot about this team coming up. And I'm not sure what we've learned about this team is necessarily what we like. But it is it is information, at least. They have won four of their last 18 road games. That's not great, Rich. In the playoffs, you're going to have to win the, on the road, especially if you're the sixth seed as the Sixers currently are. It's uh, it's kind of important. Yeah, and I mean, look, going 7-14 and 14 on the season on the road, that's okay if your goal is to be a 500 team or a lower level seed. But for a team that has title aspirations, that is a joke. That is brutal. Um and it's tough because even after a performance against Indiana where I thought they played pretty well for the most part, the, the effort level was there, I thought, it doesn't matter if you just can't get any wins. And yes, they have dealt with a tough schedule over, I don't know, past three or four weeks. But the problem with this team is when they deal with a tough schedule, they cannot get the win that they need to just tread water during the tough schedule. They lose all of the tough road games. And you see that 
with a tough two-game road trip with Dallas where, I mean, it, it was pretty much the same game, although Dallas offensively in the second half of their game stepped it up and put that game out of reach. But, you know, Dallas, you, you get blown out by them, and then Indiana, you have a chance to win, just like you had a chance to win in Miami a few weeks ago. And you invent a new way to lose. And, yeah, it's uh, it's bad. I mean, I, I don't, you know, we, we talk about it all the time. I'm not sure if this will matter all that much in a playoff series, if Joe Embiid is healthy. But they're going to be on the freaking road if they keep this up. And, yes. you know, I, I guess the only positive is that their schedule from now on is fairly easy. If you look on our old friend, tankathon.com, they have the easiest schedule in the league remaining. But... I mean, that, that doesn't mean there aren't tough games left on the schedule. And it's just, you know, w- without Embiid, they, uh, you know, with Embiid, without Embiid, there's just these dissatisfying losses. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so far, you, they have had the tough, 10th toughest strength of schedule so far. And typically, the teams with the toughest strengths of schedule are tend to be two things. First of all, in the West because you have to play that conference four games each. And then bad not, teams. Not quite as pronounced this year as it was, but usually the, the teams with the toughest strengths of schedule tend to be in the West, and the bad teams tend to have the toughest strength of schedule because they can't play themselves. Like the Sixers get four games against the Cleveland Cavaliers, the Cavs get zero games against themselves. So it tends to be a little tougher. Sixers don't have to play themselves, so they tend to have an easier strength of schedule than the bad teams do. So you look at it, the only... Eastern Conference playoff team that has had a tougher strength of schedule so far is the Toronto Raptors. They come in at ninth. So pretty much equivalent to what the Sixers have done. Some of the other prominent teams, the Boston Celtics have had the easiest schedule so far. Milwaukee Bucks have had the second easiest. Indiana Pacers, the fourth easiest. And the Miami Heat, the fifth easiest. So I would look at that, you know, and look, this isn't us making excuses. If you go back, like I said, if you go back to mid-December and listen to some of these podcasts, we would have said, look, they look good now. They're going to lose some games. Their schedule gets much tougher. It's been easy. It's going to get tougher. Well, now we're saying, look, it's been tough. It's going to get easier. I expect them to win more, which is good because you still don't have your big man. So, and if your response to that is, well, yeah, but they can lose all their games to Orlando. So who knows if they're going to take care of the games that they should. I agree with you. Like, Perfectly at this fair. Point, yeah. At, at this point, you don't know what to expect, but it is going to get, it, it will get a little bit easier. Going for I mean, a lot easier. Like like you said, they have the easiest remaining strength of schedule of anyone in the league. Uh, you you can flip that with some of these teams. Boston has the eighth toughest strength of schedule. Um, you know, we'll see. We'll see how much ground they can make up. I, I still think this is a team that, assuming Embiid's not out too long, and we haven't gotten an update on that, assuming he's not out too long, I still think they're going to win a lot of games. But I think a lot of the preseason concerns, I I mean, two things. First of all, the defense has just not been as good as we expected. It wasn't really a problem against the Pacers, but it has not been as, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't a problem in the first half of that Dallas game either. It wasn't the second. Wasn't, it hasn't been as good as we expected. We expected greatness. It has just been good. But a lot of those offensive concerns, I think are still very much there, which we will get into over the next month as we get to the, or three weeks as we get the trade deadline. So what'd you make of the Pacers game? Do you agree with my general assessment that the the effort level was good and they at least competed in that game? Yeah, no, effort level was fine. You know the it it it's it's 
I don't want to boil everything down to you got to make shots, but like you can't shoot 18% or whatever it is from It's three. unbelievable. Like, oh. well, what was your stat from your article after the game? Like over the last, how many games are shooting like 25% or something like that from three? They're in the six game road losing streak. 25%. You, you can't, you're, you're just not going to win games like that. And I see a lot of people like, oh, they should not take too many threes and okay, maybe, but like they don't have the talent to create off the dribble. Like they're not going to create a whole lot of shots at the rim, get to the free throw line. It's just not, that's not the team Elton brand has built. So they took like what, 38 against the Mavs and then 33 against the Pacers. Like that's not, it's not out of this world quantity. Like that's, it's, it's barely more than like, I think they average like 30 on the season. So you expect, like, they have to make shots, Rich. Like, you can't win in the NBA nowadays without making shots. And they, they're just, they're missing everything. And they're not even, like, some of these aren't even close. They're great looks. They're not even close. Mike Scott, not, not even close. Not, Al Horford, not even close. Mike Scott made one early in the game against Pacers. And I'm like, oh, my God, finally. Maybe he can finally give you something in a starting role. And nope, he miss, missed his next five. And a lot of them don't even, like, right when they leave his hand, they don't look like they're going in. And it's just... Everybody, Josh Richardson, really good fourth quarter, one for eight from three point. Not even close on easy looks from, except for the one he bailed him out on. Which that's what I mean. Out. He went one for eight. He made the hardest shot he took know, by a I mile. I know. You can't you can't shoot six for thirty. There's no offense where if you can't throw a rock in the ocean, it's going to look good. And like this is a team, eleven turnovers again. I think they didn't have a turnover in the in the first quarter at all. This is a team that all of a sudden has transformed into one that can take care of the basketball, but they can't make a shot. And it's, it's so tough to win that way. I don't want to boil it just down to that though. That's a big thing though. It's a big, it's a big thing. <laughs> and it's kind of takes our, uh, they should, they should, analyst that, role. That, that first quarter, they should have been up by 15 easy. And it was easy. the same story in Dallas. Yep. The first half they played in Dallas was excellent. Great defense activity, getting out in transition, and that Ben Dallas Simmons game, dominating. Com- that Dallas game completely changed when Ben picked up his third foul, which I thought was a bullshit call. Like, they called some real ticky-tack shit on him. But he he was not as aggressive in the second half defensively. They didn't have him on Luka as much in that second half. I really felt like that game just shifted on a dime when he got that call. And it shouldn't have. Like, they, they you, you still had a second half, but he just he wasn't as aggressive on either end of the court. Like, he didn't, he didn't score a point in the second half. He didn't, his defensive intensity wasn't there, but his first half defense on Luca was out of this world. And they still, they should have been up by 20 and they weren't. And they left themselves vulnerable. Like this is a team right now. They're not good enough defensively because you don't have him beat. You have to make up for that by shooting and making shots and good ball movement. And they're at just, least at an average rate. Yeah. God. And they're just, they're, they're, they're not doing enough well right now to look competent. It's frustrating. They led by. Nine points at halftime of the Dallas game. That should have been 16, 17, 18. And it was the same story with the the Pacers game. And, you know, we're kind of already talking about it, but the same thing happened in both games where Ben Simmons, the two first halves he just played over the weekend, those two games, that's about as good as you can play. Dominant defense. I mean... He did not have to guard Luka Doncic uh, against Indiana, but he was fantastic, made some great off-ball rotations, got out in transition, found guys for open threes, which, of course, they missed literally every one of them. 
he was tremendous in both first halves, but in the second half, not great either night. And I, I agree with you, lost the defensive intensity a little bit in Dallas. Lost the offensive intensity in Indiana. And, you know, it's unfortunate because, again, if they just make shots even at a below average rate, we're talking about a good win, and that's a nice response against a team that punked you just a couple weeks ago in that building. And, and it really was a nice response, but this team, they just have so many bad habits on the offensive end where if they don't, you know, if something doesn't go right, whether it's the shooting or the defense or whatever, those habits are going to come back to bite you. And a lot of those are as a team with the poor spacing, but some of them are on the individual players. And, you know, some of those bad habits are, you know, Mike Scott just not being able to make threes. I guess that's not a bad habit. But the the one I'm thinking of right now is that Al, Al I mean, Al's spacing on that play that I pointed out on Twitter, please take a look at it. Uh, there was a Josh Richardson, Ben Simmons pick and roll at the end of that game. It's a fine play call, right? You have three shooters, although, you know, Matisse is, he's probably somebody they're going to help off, but whatever. You have Al, Tobias, and Matisse off the ball run a Richardson, Simmons pick and roll. It's a good play. Simmons rolling to the basket. Richardson was great in that fourth quarter. What do you have, 17 points? Yep. So that, that's a good play. It doesn't work when Al Horford is standing underneath the basket. Right in his roll path. Right there. <laughs> Isn't this supposed to be the lineup where the spacing is easy? Yeah. <laughs> and that is, yep. uh, that's really bad. It's, and, and it's funny because that was the only possession they scored on at the end of the game. But it was so bad. And, you know, if you want to blame Brett Brown for that, I think that's fair. And you want to blame Al Horford for that, that's fair too. But it's it's ridiculous and it's just something that can't happen. The uh, r- Real quick, the other bad habit that I have though is that Ben Simmons, there were a couple times in the second half of that game where he got switched on Aaron Holiday. In the first half, he got switched on him and he went right by him for a basket. And in the second half, he passed the ball off, I think for threes both times, but without even setting a foot into the paint. You need to score on Aaron Holiday in that situation. And he does not do it. And look, it's it's not surprising by any means. We've seen this, you know, if you want to call it a lack of a killer instinct, whatever, just an inability to put your head down and get to the hole in the way that LeBron would do it or Giannis would do it. And that's uh that's also frustrating. So it's it's kind of a tough spot for Ben where he plays the best first half you know, maybe I've ever seen from him. And none of his teammates make threes, but they needed more scoring in the second half of that game, and he did not give it to them. Yeah, and I mean, that is that is the story of the story of Ben. Like, he, he is not going to be that go-to reliable half-court dribble-drive creator. And so much of his weaknesses get exposed when you just don't have anybody else who can really do that. And look, Josh Richardson had a great fourth quarter. Like you said, 17 points. Yeah, some of it was that Brett took the ball out of his hands and put it in Josh's hands, and that's reasonable. The, the previous night it wasn't, though. Like, against Dallas, he could have done more. Sure. Um, well, we could have done more against Indiana, too, but th- there was some of that. You know, I, I'm not expecting him to score 20 points again in the second half. Sure, sure. But, like, part of the problem is, is I mean, Josh can get hot. 
Tobias Harris can get hot and they can get to their spots and get to their pull-up spots. But it's almost, I'm going to say something and I think it's, it's going to come off a little bit wrong. Cause I think a lot of times when you see when you, when you, someone says this, you think like a, a, a they are a um, selfish player and neither of those two are, but whenever they get their offense, it's kind of at the expense of everybody else. They never use that sort of like, if they get a step, they get a step so they can get a pull up jumper or a floater. There's never a step so they can get somebody else an easy look. So when Josh has it going, like there's no, like the ball movement suffers a little bit. Yep. There's no real great, he's not creating space for anyone. There's no creativity to get somebody an open look. Nobody really cuts off of him because there's not great vision there. Same thing with Tobias, probably worse with Tobias. They're very methodical. They get very tunnel, methodical. Tunnel vision. I mean, yeah. Look, he can make, he can make, like Tobias can make that work. He can make that pull up jumper work. He will get his points. It's just the only guy you have on his team that really has any kind of dribble drive vision and creativity to create a shot for anybody else can't really drive because you can pay, play 15 feet off of him. And oh, by the way, he doesn't really want to get to the free throw line anyway. So he doesn't get all the way the into big, the teeth of the defense. I think that's the way bigger problem. I mean, they're both big problems and it's like, it's not, it's not, it's not great. It's not you great. You have Aaron Holiday on you. You have to score every time. And you know what? At some point they're going to double you and you have the vision to then kick for a wide open three. The vision, the height, like there's, he should, you watch Luka Doncic. And the way he can just make, you know, crossover, couple dribble, skip past the corner. Like, he could do that every fucking time down the court. Really good. Ben should be able to, like, that height makes that pass so much easier. Ben just needs to be able to force that rotation, and he just, he, he doesn't do it. It's a huge hole in his game. And look, Ben does a lot of great stuff on the basketball court. It's, it's, it's exhausting because I feel like in or, every time you criticize him, you have to be like, but his defense. And every time you say his defense, somebody says, but his offense. And they're both valid points. Part of the problem is you just don't have anybody else who can really create for anybody else in the half court. And it, it really gets exposed at times. Yeah. Which is why I just, I don't. Eh. He was, I mean, he was still their best player on the floor last night. And I, I agree with that. Uh, I agree with myself when I say that, but uh <laughs> It's just, yeah, it's frustrating when you have him in the 1A role when Joel is out of the game. There's space for him, and he just he didn't take advantage of it. And it was it was almost like he punched out after the first half. That, that great first half that you had doesn't prevent you from playing an average second half, right? Or even an above-average second half. It's just... Especially not when the offense stagnates like that. Yeah. There are more bad habits. I mean, God, Al Horford on a pick and pop at the end of that game with Richardson just throws a grenade to Thibel in the corner when Miles Turner is closing out on on him. Hey, Al, what happened to the pump fake and and you make the decision and drive into the lane, and then you throw out the Thibel and he's the one who wants to attack. It was uh, that was not a good Al Horford game by any means. It was a, oh no 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 it was not. It wasn't a good Thibel game either. But that's, he at least made a shot though. He had gone over his first two games, so he at least made a shot. More to be expected, yeah. As a team, since December 15th, the Sixers have a plus 1.4 net rating in the first half and a negative 6.3 in the second half. And having watched the games, that certainly jives with what I would have expected. Struggles, for sure. Let's take a quick break to talk to you about DraftKings. Conference Championship Week is here. Four teams, two games, so little time left in the season. Don't miss out. Get in on all the action with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. With so much going on this week, DraftKings has great promotions running every day. 
From odds boost to free bets, they have it all. This week only, bet on any star player to score the first TD of the game with 10 to 1 odds. It doesn't get better than that. Plus, DraftKings Sportsbook is a safe and secure betting app. You can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. And to top it all off, DraftKings Sportsbook is offering their best sign-up offer to date right now. You won't want to miss this. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code TOSS when you sign up. For a limited time, all new users can get a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. That's right, DraftKings Sportsbook is going all out with a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. Don't forget, that's code TOSS and get your sign-up bonus up to $1,000. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Pennsylvania only. In partnership with Meadows Racetrack and Casino, Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. And now back to the show. We wrote a series of articles basically as a lead up to the trade deadline. And really, it's, it's, it's sort of like a getting, a, a getting acquainted with some of the guys who were on the market who could become realistic options for the Sixers. Wouldn't expect anything to happen here in the short term. A lot of these deals, not always. I feel like especially the last couple of years, there's been some some moves that have happened before the deadline. Uh, Tobias Harris specifically, I think he was, what, two days before the deadline. Got a phone call from Rich Hoffman at like 2 a.m. waking me up. That was a wonderful, wonderful time. But usually these deals happen right at the deadline, which I think is what, like 3 p.m., on the 6th might have the time wrong, but definitely the 6th. So I would say sort of the goal with these, these articles that we did was sort of like a get to know the players, their strengths, their weaknesses, their fit and their salary situation. I'm not smart enough to predict exactly what it would cost to get all of these guys. So I think we veered away from that a little bit, but I guess we'll start off with this of the names that we went through and we went through what, like maybe 15, 16, Somewhere in that range names. Who interests you the most? Rich Hoffman, if you were running the basketball team, who interests you the most as a potential acquisition for this team? Well, Chris Paul would interest me the most, but I don't think they're going to be able to get him because that involves trading a starter, and I think that's complicated, and it it would break up the team in a way that we discussed on the last podcast. Of the guys that make less money than Chris Paul and can be reasonably added to this core without needing to trade, I don't know, four or five players or or whatever. The name to me that sticks out the most is Bogdanovich. Not Bohan, Bogdan. Um, I just think he would interest me too, but he's, you're not, he's not available. Yeah, no, he's already on a good team and they, they like him. So I, I just think it's the best combination of talent and fit in that, you know, he's 6'6". Six, six. He is, you know, he's not a great defensive player, but he's not going to kill you on that end of the floor. Like, it's not playing Trey Burke or Howell Neto. And he is a legitimate pick-and-roll ball handler. He is an elite spot-up guy throughout his career. And uh, he's gettable because the Kings aren't going to be able to pay him. Now, it, it also might be where... Other teams sense that, and they have more to give than the Sixers. Or the Kings just make a foolhardy chase for the eighth seed that they're probably not going to get, most likely not going to get. But to me, I feel like if you slid him in 
as the sort of six man that we talked about over the past couple of podcasts, he would be the guy who uh, who interests me the most. Yeah, he's certainly. I mean, he's he's right at the top. I do think he has a kind of game where a lot of contenders will be interested in him. And like you said, oh yeah, I mean, I mean, it's easy for me to be interested in him, but right. 27, he'll be a restricted free agent this summer. Will probably be a little bit expensive to keep around. And with the Sixers' luxury tax situation, there is a chance he would just be a rental. But yeah, I mean, in terms of, like you said, not only spot up, he can get out in transition. He can run some pick and roll, which his team desperately needs. That's what I mean. Yeah, and, he can play in the half court with Joe, and he can get out in yep. transition with Ben because he played with the most frequent transition team in the league last year. Yep. So he would, he would, he would be a, I, I just, I, my biggest concern with him, besides the fact that the jersey's the chance that he would be a rental because you don't want to pay him, is what's going to cost? Like, it, it, is there another yeah. team that's just quite simply going to be able to offer more? And I think the answer to that is probably yes. So we're, we're going to have two different parts of this sort of trade talk. First, who would you be interested in? Second, who do you think is most likely? Interest, yes, he's towards the top. Likely, probably not. Yeah, it's going to be hard. I don't disagree with you there, but hey, you got to got to shoot as high as you can. So, who would be uh, who would be next on your list or first or whatever? But yeah, so far fourteen point five points per game, thirty eight point three percent from three on on nearly seven attempts per game, and three point six dimes. He would he would certainly help uh, help this squad. You could play him at the end of games if yes. one of your starters was just not playing well or the fit wasn't happening against this specific matchup. So JJ would be at, at towards the top of my list. I don't think he's going to be available. I do think they're going to want to keep him around for the Zion era, or at least the start of the Zion era. And I think they're close enough. For, how, how far out are they from the other three, three wins back? And the problem with the West right now is the eighth seed is very much up for grabs. Memphis currently has it at 18 and 22, with, which means a lot of teams can fool themselves into thinking they have a chance. And the Pelicans getting Zion back might be a team that fools themselves, or at least convinces themselves that if there's a 10% chance of making the playoffs when Zion comes back, and you get the benefit of having JJ around Zion to sort of be a mentor and open the floor for him, that might be worth more than whatever they'll get in the trade. 538 has their playoff odds at 47%. Really? That's a pretty sure uh, their net rating is a little higher than some of the other teams. And I'm sure they're factoring in the Zion return. Yeah. They've been, they've been playing better basketball too. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what their record is of late, but they were, I mean, they were in, in the dumps of, like they were when they lost to the Sixers, they were like, what, like six and 22 or something like that. So for them to be sitting there at um 15 and 26, they're, they're making up some ground. They, they are, there would be reason for optimism. On 538, they are far and away the favorite for the eighth seed. So, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, he he might not be available. He would be towards the top, but... Uh, I'm surprised you said that, just just to get Joe going, because he does not solve your ball handler dilemma. No, but the the, the gravity, the familiarity, uh, the shooting, the, the ability to generate half-court offense, which this team does not... And quite frankly, a lot of the ball handlers I'm not a huge fan of. So it's point. like, you can you can... I mean, that, that DHL functions a lot like a pick and roll, and it is a source of half-court offense. It is a source to get Joe some easy looks. So if my options are like Langston Galloway in a pick and roll or J.J. Redick, like, I'll take J.J. I'll take J.J. I agree um, with you, and it cannot be 
understated how easy it would be to reacclimate him to the team. Oh yeah, you just drop him in. It's a you just dust off some of the old playbooks and he's good to go. I mean, it, it's on that vein. Like Luke Kennard would be towards the top of my list, but sort of like JJ and the fact that you can run him off of a lot of a lot of screens, a lot of DHOs. He has a little bit of creation in a pick and roll. It's going to get destroyed defensively, but like at this point, you need somebody who can shoot, run a pick and roll, come off of the screens and create some offense that way. I can't see why Detroit would trade him to the Sixers. Like, if they're going to trade him, it's to package him for someone better than Luke Kennard, not yeah. to sell him for late draft picks. They're rebuilding, but he's young enough and cheap enough where you'd want to keep him around. And he fits, he fits with so many different players in a potential rebuild, too. Yeah, he's never he's never going to be a focal point, but he he can fit in almost however you build your team. And like I said, he's bad enough defensively that there's some concern there. But he's you know he's 23 on a rookie scale contract who's gotten better every year. Like they're not just going to like Detroit has a lot of pieces they're just going to sell. That's not one of them. You have to give them something they really want, and I'm not sure six are going to be willing to do that. So I'll cross him off the list. Yeah, similar I mean, T Rex arms to JJ as well. Yes. I love, I love Bertans. I, I love watching that dude shoot. Like what you can run him off of at six foot 10 with how quickly he runs off of screens. Like one of my, one of the most amazing plays I've seen JJ Redick make was that one where he sprinted full speed down the court. Against the Lakers. Stopped yeah. and popped in the corner. In the corner. And and while drifting yeah. out of bounds, made that shot. And Bertans has a lot of that same body control. Not as good. Like JJ was pretty unique in terms of, shooting on the move like that. But Bertans at 6'10 to be able to do that, like he would just be a blast to watch. He, he had a couple a in that game. He had a couple in that game against the Sixers where he was, I mean, he was moving you know, 60 miles an hour to his left yeah. and he still shot it over a good contest. Yeah. He, he, he puts so much pressure on the defense because of that movement and that high release. And like, if you fall asleep for a second and do the Sixers need another four? No, but like, if they're going to get another four, like that's the one that they need. I'd play him every minute with Embiid. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, right now you're trying to pair Mike Scott, who hasn't made a shot in a month and a half with Embiid just because there's a threat of the shot. Well, if there's a threat of that shot, along with movement, along with a high release, along with the ball actually going in the basket, he would make Joe's life a lot easier. Remember how good the Ilyasova-Embiid pairing was? Yep. This would be a more all-offense version of it, but it would be a better version. Oh, yeah. No, he's and he's he's young enough. What is he like? Twenty seven ish, somewhere in that range. Yeah. So he's young enough where if you you know you can bring him back and he can be a a, a long term rotation piece. He's improved a lot. Is there a little like I've heard some people? Is there a little bit of concern that maybe his shooting is a little fluky and he might come down? Maybe, but that shot's pure. Like I have no doubt that shot is pure, and, and there might be some year to year fluctuations, but that's always going to be a threat. He is one of the best three point shooters. On the planet, and he would fit in. He would fit in well. Uh, I, would, I don't entirely. I would be, yep. Go ahead. I, I was just gonna say I don't entirely know what Washington's gonna do with him. Like they're so far away from contention, and they have years and years of a rebuild coming up ahead of them. That paying what he's gonna get on the open market probably doesn't make sense. But if they think they can get him back on a reasonable deal, like he would, he would fit in terms of his age, and in terms of his um, skill set. But when you start paying him real money, like that's, if you're going to pay him real money, you want him to be getting you somewhere. And I'm not sure he's going to get them somewhere. 
It's a tough one because, like you said, he is not the positional fit you are looking for. But at some point, he might be the best player that you can get. And, you know, I, I think what what's the line? H- how much are you looking for fit? Because, you know, as much as the position doesn't fit, the skill set of a dude who shoots the hell out of the ball fits yep. well with everybody on the team. Yeah, it's a good question to see uh, what Washington does with him. You still see him in a lot of trade rumors from a lot of reputable uh, reporters, and a lot of them mentioned the Sixers have inquired about Bertans. So when you're a team that has shot 25 percent over the last six games, like yes, you're going to inquire about the six foot ten guy who launches nearly nine threes a game and it makes almost 44 percent of them. Yeah, they, I'm sure they acquired. Yeah, so uh, he would be somebody that I am interested in. Depends on the price and depends on what else you can get. Yep. That upgrade from Mike Scott to Bertans would be, would be real. It would be real. All right, let's take one more quick break this time to talk about calm. We talk about physical fitness a lot, but there's another side of the game that's just as important. I'm talking about mental fitness. Calm, the number one app for sleep and meditation, has teamed up with LeBron James to help you train your mind. LeBron and Calm know that your mind is like any muscle in your body. And Calm can help you train your brain so you sleep better have less stress, and perform at your best. For LeBron James, sleep is an important part of his mental fitness routine. LeBron says getting good sleep and finding time to rest is one of the most valuable things I can do for my mind and body. If you're like me, you probably sometimes think sleep is the one thing you can skimp out on to try to get ahead. Just give me two additional hours in the morning and I can get everything I want to accomplish. I've told myself this many a time. Wrong. It backfires every time. Instead, focus on maximizing your sleep to rejuvenate your body. And if you head to calm.com slash Sixers, you'll get 40% off a Calm premium membership. For a limited time, our listeners can join LeBron in using Calm with a 40% discount to an annual membership at calm.com slash Sixers. Unlock content to help you focus, ease stress, and sleep better. Get started at calm.com slash Sixers. Once again, that's calm.com slash Sixers. And now back to the show. Um, I'm not even going to talk about Covington in part because... (laughs) <laughs> He's a hot button topic on this on, on in this city, which I don't entirely get, but he is. And also in part because some other team, if he is available, will have more to offer him or more to offer the Wolves. And he, I don't consider him realistic. Really? Yeah, I think I think you don't think somebody else is going to give up more than the Sixers would. Hmm. I mean, in terms of just a first round pick, maybe they'd be a able to. One. Yeah. Yeah, and and they'd be able to maybe attach a better younger player. Yeah, if if like, not a if not a blue chip prospect, somebody who is at least a lottery ticket. Like Zaire this... Smith doesn't have value around the league. Yeah, I'm sorry, and like I I like Zaire. I hope that he can figure it out. Um, but he doesn't. He has not trade value around the league right now. Like he's a, he's a salary match for most other teams, and a you know maybe a, a lottery ticket, but you're not like. I think they'll get better for sure. As much as I love Cove too, and as much as he fits. With any good team, because of that defense and three-point shooting. Not the greatest nice fit with this group. Yeah. Yeah. When we're talking about we need guys who can dribble, not we, the Sixers. The Sixers need guys who can dribble and create perimeter offense. He doesn't really do that besides just jacking up threes. So, Which, by the way, the Sixers need, too. Like They need yeah. somebody who will just shoot every time down the court. When he's open. But are you going to pay a premium for that? He's had a rough, He's had a rough year, too. He has, he has, I think he's shooting, what, like 34 
percent from three. He has not had one of his better years. Of course, as we all know in Philadelphia, that means he's probably going to shoot like thirty eight percent for the rest of the year because he is a notoriously streaky shooter. But yeah, he's 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 down a little bit right now. He's down a little bit. Let's go to the the ball handlers: Alec Burks, Derek Rose. I guess we can throw Langston Galloway and Reggie Bullock. Eh, not really. Yeah. Not really a ball handler. Malik Beasley. Who do you like out of this group? I think Beasley out of that group, just because the upside seems to be there as a... And the the cost is probably going to be lower, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, you would only need to trade Zaire if they were willing to give up a first-round pick. Like, you could keep Mike Scott in the rotation, which is not a small consideration. I, I think we throw him into a lot of these trades because... You have to. You have to. But, and as much as we are ragging on his shooting, he has been good for this team in some high leverage spots before. So, you know, this is not a, uh, they have to trade Mike Scott discussion. So yeah, the, uh, the cost and just the theoretical upside, he would also probably be a rental, but you know, I, uh, I I think you, you asked Denver who, you know, has Michael Porter now and they just seem to be developing all of these young players. It's, uh. I think that would be a good deal. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think Beasley, especially Denver, they have, you know, Gary Harris and Jamal Murray getting those minutes. He's on the final year of his contract. He's uh, he's not um, happy with his role. You certainly expect him to try to leave. I think he'd be a restricted free agent, but you expect him to try to leave in the summer and that, that Denver wouldn't look to match given they don't really have a role for him. So get some value now while they can. You know, his all-around game isn't, all there, defensively, playmaking, shot creation. But he can shoot. He had a pretty good season for Denver last year when he had the opportunity. He's still making his shots from the perimeter. I think he is a, a pretty good, hopefully by low candidate who would fit with the with the six deep. And he has some size, so maybe you can get a little more out of him defensively now in a a, a contract push. So yeah, I think he's a he's a, a good realistic target. Yep. I think he's one of the best uh combination of skill set and ability and also seems like somebody who who you can get as well. And that's important because some of the top players, there's going to be a lot of teams in line for them. So, um, All right. Among the other guys, who would you say on, on the other ball handler types? Derek Rose is going to be the one that everybody wants. And he's probably the one that I have the least interest in. He certainly has that pick and roll aspect that you need. He doesn't have a whole lot of off the dribble three game to him. Not consistent at least. You know, I think he shot like 37% from deep last year. That has not translated this year. It's never really translated outside of that one season. He's more of a mid-range guy. And he has that mid-range pull-up, but not having that three-point, like playing him off ball would be tough in on on this team. And then there's there's off-field concerns, which I would have to dive a lot deeper into because what he was accused of a couple of years ago Awful. is not something I would want on my basketball team. And if there's any shred of truth in it, then even if he makes the team better, I think you take a stand on that. So I would have to, if I were the Sixers, research that a lot more. So I don't have a whole ton of... And look, he's he's resurrected his career. He's I thought playing his a career, lot better, yeah. I thought his career was almost on the brink of being over. His, the combination of his loss, his dip in athleticism, his style of play, and what teams want out of point guards nowadays, it was trending in the wrong direction. He's turned it around. So he's, I understand why you have interest. 
but the fit is tough and the off field stuff is pretty big on my mind there. It's big on my mind as well. And also, are you really going to just give the ball to Derek Rose at the end of games? It feels like he needs a pretty big role on a team. Yeah. And, he, and he has one on yep. Detroit. And he's, again, he's done very well with it, considering where he was a couple of years ago. But uh, yeah, I, 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 he's not he's not a great catch and shoot guy, is he? Nope. I don't think of- he either wants to or connects on them. Um, it's a problem. It, like I said, off ball, he would be he would be a, a a real tough fit, a real tough. And I'm, yeah, a lot of concerns there. Um, but I do I, I do understand the general interest because he is a very he, good pick and roll player. He can I dribble agree. the basketball. It's a it's a it's a real thing, yeah. a real thing. There you're allowed to have players on the team that can dribble. Um, I think I think Alec Burks is a reasonable compromise on that regard. Like, is his are his numbers inflated with Golden State? Of course they are. Like, so is Glenn Robinson the third. But he still has a pretty efficient, you know, slash line of what is it, forty one from the field, thirty six from three, eighty nine from the from the on line like, on like one three per game. Yeah, but again, he can he can he can dribble a little bit. It'd be real easy to like Golden State has no reason to keep him around. He's on a one year minimum contract. So he's he, he should be available, should be pretty easy to get. Uh he would, you know. Is he gonna solve any of your problems shooting or ball handling? No. But you get one more playable guy. Like that just seems like a, a, a realistic, attainable person. Uh eh. like there's a lot. Like Jeff Teague would be interesting, but he makes too much money. Yeah, he'd have to be bought out. He'd have to be a bio candy. He makes nineteen million dollars. That would he be... would he would go close to the top of the list for me if you could. He were it. bought out, but yeah. yeah, but he makes nineteen million dollars. So a lot of the other options we had: Dario Sharch, Marvin Williams. Marvin Williams is somebody Mar- who I'd love as a buyout if Scott gets uh, traded and you you have somewhat of a hole with the backup four. Now it's not an automatic hole because you could just slide Tobias Harris and Ben Simmons up. So it's not a glaring hole, you know, replacing Mike Scott with a wing is, you know, that can work with the way that the Sixers play. But uh, Marvin Williams is somebody who I think has some good playoff level basketball. Yeah. But a lot of those, a lot of those, those, like if, if you have very limited resources to trade and limited first round draft picks, limited, young talent, li- limited salary matching, like trading it for a power forward just seems like Dario Sharch, Marquise Morris, even though those guys don't make a lot of money, it just seems like you can use those resources better elsewhere. Etwan Moore, like that was a yeah. good name. Like I, he can make a shot. He doesn't make too many mistakes. Doesn't do a whole reasonable. lot else though. Reasonable, doesn't do a lot else, no. Um, and, and again, I don't know how motivated the Pelicans are going to be to move off of him either. So I'm not sure how available he truly is. But yeah, I think, I think, um, you know, in terms of best case scenario, like I, I, I do think Bogdanovich, Bertans and Kennard are sort of like the top of my wish list. But in terms of realistic Beasley, um, who else? Who else would I have there? Burks. Beasley, Burks. Like I said, I just don't I don't know how much Bogdanovich is gonna cost. I don't know how much Bertans is gonna cost if he even becomes available. A lot of that depends on how many how much interest you draw from other teams. So some combination of Beasley and Burks, I think, is you know, outside of blowing up your starting five, I think that's uh 
think that's what you're looking at. I think that would be a pretty good pull. Keeping yeah. the expectations low. Keeping them very low. And I, I will say the uh, the caliber of player from the first two names you mentioned to those next couple, it's uh it's pretty sizable. So they have to. I think the Sixers kind of have to weigh what is it going to be worth? Is it going to be worth a first-round pick to shop in the higher end of this uh, this yeah. trade market? And I mean, look, Bogdanovich would help you a lot more, like you said. But you also, there, like, there's some level of realism. Like, can his team, can his starting five really go out there and compete for a championship? And is it then worth giving up a first-round pick for a rental? It'd be great to have Joel Embiid so we could see this, this, this starting five play a little bit more. It's a tough question. I mean... You could certainly then see Bogdanovich come in and, and, and be in your closing group. Like you could you could see him get minutes sometimes over Al Horford, depending on how well Horford's playing, how well the starting five played during the first and third quarter stints, how well how well the teams match up. You could certainly see a, a shooter like that. I mean, you you were seeing Horford be taken out in the in, in the closing lineups sometimes already. So you have a real legit option in, in Bogdanovich. You could he he would make a difference. It's just, do you think this team is title contention worthy right now? And that's a that's a tough question to answer. It really is. Yeah. Not even title contention. Do you think they're leaving the Eastern Conference contention worthy? It's it's tough because this team clearly has a gear they can get to at times. Question is, how many times can they get there in a seven game series? And how well do they match up against the top of the East, which still looks pretty good. It's just. Right now, they have to play the Orlandos of the world, too, and that's been a struggle. All right, I think that's probably a good enough place to end it. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we'll talk to you soon. See you, man.